If you guys are really enjoying this podcast, I'd greatly appreciate it if you left me some reviews, maybe some five stars, whether you're listening to this on Audible, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Make sure you guys leave this five stars, leave some nice words. Also share it with a friend. You know, I don't charge anything for these podcasts and my goal is just to grow it and help the jiu-jitsu community. So thank you guys for supporting and I'll see you guys later. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Jiu-Jitsu Secrets Podcast. My name is Jason Hu. If you guys don't know, if you guys are a new heel, appreciate you guys tuning in, checking out another episode. So in today's uh, episode or topic, what I want to just talk about is what happened over my weekend a little bit in the jiu-jitsu world um i like doing that i like talking about not always just like straight up advice with this with that but you know keeping you guys updated with with other ideas so um we had a jiu-jitsu instructors camp over the weekend at our academy and this was instructors that are trying to teach at the academy that i teach and train out of but also some of them are coming in and running associations or other aspects and this also shines another light on the jiu-jitsu aspect or area of the jiu-jitsu world. Usually people who are training jiu-jitsu are obsessed with it, whether that's from getting better at techniques, um, learning just more about the jiu-jitsu culture, and just kind of the whole facility or background of jiu-jitsu. So I thought I'd talk about the instructor's camp, some interesting things that I learned, some things that I think you guys could benefit from. And, uh, yeah, if you ever have any desires to be an instructor one day, maybe it's not as far-fetched as you might think. So, you know, these instructors, like I said, they're, they're trying to train at our school or they're coming in from out of town. Um, we had anyone there from the ranges of blue belts to black belts, which is really cool to see. And the main goal with it is, is that the way that we teach our classes is in a certain format. So there's a way that you can convey information to students um, faster and more effectively that we feel. So this is how myself and my instructor teach and some of my upper instructors teach. So we try to teach that process to our jiu-jitsu students. So it's really weird that you're teaching a sub-process to a process. So not it's like how do you actually share a jiu-jitsu technique, right? So the we're teaching these students how to explain a step-by-step technique. So we're going even more meta by explaining the step-by-step of how to teach. And I think this is a super valuable thing to be done in jujitsu. You know, I know a lot of you guys have probably heard or experienced that just because someone is a great practitioner doesn't make them a great teacher. A lot of times that comes from their own biases. So what I mean by that is a lot of times if a jiu-jitsu instructor thinks that the only way that you can get better at jujitsu is to spar and roll around and you know you're just gonna have to be in the the grit of things then they're not going to spend much time probably getting good at conveying technique information because they don't find it of value so they show you like one or two things for about two minutes and then they say okay go ahead now go try it and then you get to sparring as quick as you can so there's usually a bias from where that comes from Possibly not. Maybe someone who does like sharing technique has just never been taught an efficient way to teach as well. So um, I tend to bias from this idea that I spend a lot of time teaching people who are newer to jiu-jitsu, students that are like white belts and brand new people, and students that aren't full-time jiu-jitsu practitioners. There's a lot of things that you can hack in the jiu-jitsu world if you're a full-time practitioner or if you're training five or six days a week. If you're training five or six days a week, you don't really have to have 
a detailed training focus. You don't really have to understand much about your jiu-jitsu. You don't really have to have much attention to detail because you're training six or seven days a week. So it's just as simple as you showing up to the mat and you're going to naturally get better by doing the process. But unfortunately, that's not 99% of the people in jiu-jitsu. 99% of the people in jiu-jitsu are, you know, the average person. The median age is 35, roughly, and they've got kids and they've got a family and things of that nature. So that's who I have the most experience teaching. Um, I've taught some very good competitors, never anybody world class or world champion. But, you know, so it's just it's just two different sides of the coin. So whenever you're teaching an average everyday student or a hobbyist, and I don't mean that disrespectfully because that's what I am outside of it being my career. You know, I don't compete full time, even though I train jujitsu a lot. I don't I don't really compete. I'm not in that world as much. Um, but it's hard with, you know, Instagram and YouTube and, you know, the buddies that you probably have at the gym, they all follow the sport. We tend to think that that's everyone or we want to admire to be that when that's absolutely not true most people are are not that so going back to the point about teaching those kinds of people the hobbyist or the person that's not just training full-time is how can you convey them information that's effective and efficient and that they get value out of so that was the point of the instructors camp was to try to teach them how we do that and so um they all did they did really great we had about 20 different uh students who, who are going through and doing this. Some of them had previous teaching experience. Like we had some guys who have been running a school for years. And then we had some guys that this was their first time to ever teach jujitsu. So it was really cool to see the differences um, between that. And so the way that we run it is the first day we split into two days because the first day is more about a lecture day, I guess, if you want to call it, that's conveying the information, getting them to understand the rhyme and reason behind it. And then at the very end for the last like hour, hour and a half or so, they break into small groups and they have someone who is evaluating, I guess, if you want to call it that, but giving them feedback, who knows the system, knows the process, and they're teaching to one each other in small groups. And this is the first time that they're really practicing using it in application. So they've spent the time learning in lecture and now they're practicing in application, just like jujitsu. You learn the technique, you practice the step-by-steps, and then you're going to go try it against, you know, resisting opponents or sparring. So their resisting opponent's going to be <laughs> in class teaching. So then the second day, we start off with them breaking into small groups again and doing the teaching part again. So right off the bat. And this is because obviously the first day they've their brains are pretty fried, but there's something about showing them that when they come back the second day, once they know what to do and how to do it and then spend time thinking about it and studying it at home and preparing for the next day, how much better they were and how much they improved. And this is my point to you guys that sometimes we undervalue what we can do or we don't think we set high enough expectations. So some people are like, well, I could never be a jiu-jitsu instructor. I would have no idea what that looks like. We took like 20 people and probably around half of them didn't, they were there more to be like an assistant and to try to help and to learn and just help out in class. But we made everyone teach. And what was really cool is that a lot of them by the end of it thought that like it wasn't as bad and that there was actually a reason on why they'd want to teach. Now that they had a framework of how to actually teach and run a class, they felt a lot more comfortable. So 
once you can give people like the right tools and that's the best way to change their perspective. So that was awesome to see people who had zero maybe intention of really wanting to lead or teach a class to actually now they show that they could do it and they showed how much they improved from day one to day two. So that's all it would take is for someone to actually prepare, which sounds crazy to prepare, um, and just really be focused and attentive on teaching. Um, I think that that's what makes a good measure for instructor. I don't think it's about the amount of knowledge per se. They do have to have so much knowledge, but it's how about how they convey the information and how they make people feel when they're learning it. Do they make people feel like what they're learning is valuable? Do they um, speak with the details? Are they, you know, being positive and, and reaffirming in the atmosphere? You know, all those things... I think make for a good instructor. Um, so, you know, we, we teach them the framework on, on how we do that. And there's a rhyme and reason to it. And that would be like a whole separate <laughs> podcast or entity to get into. So the next part is for you guys, where you could benefit from is this, this is the same thing in jujitsu is that the first day that you show up or anytime you learn a to new technique, it's going to be trash. It's not going to be any good. But usually if you go home, sleep on it, think about it, you know, really find a way to practice it and spend time on it and develop it, then it's going to get better. So it's the same thing in teaching. So if you have any desires to become a jiu-jitsu instructor or do anything more in jiu-jitsu, just know that there are potential routes for that to happen you're not thank you guys again for supporting the podcast in case you guys didn't know i'm really trying to work on growing my social media presence either on instagram and on twitter so make sure you guys give me a follow over there of at jason hill is both handles it's also in the show description it's a quick way to link over this is the best way to also ask me about questions or topics you would like future podcasts on also, if you haven't already, make sure you check out the YouTube channel. It has a lot of these topics just in video format. It's just another medium for you guys to check it out. And so that is a good way to also get some jujitsu help. Wrong to think that even if you're a white belt or even if you're a blue belt. You know, I started teaching when I was a blue belt. I had the unique opportunity to do that. And not everyone will get that same chance, but... I was by far able to convey information to students that were less skilled than me. A lot of times in jiu-jitsu, there's a big kind of looming dogmatic atmosphere that you can only teach if you're a black belt or a brown belt or something like that. But the reality is, is that you can teach to anybody that's less skilled than you. So if you have something to offer, if I'm teaching a basics class and I'm teaching all these white belts that don't know anything and there's a curriculum that's been instruct that's been designed by the black belt and you know crafted and has a way and then i can teach the blue belt what they need to say and what to teach that's still a vehicle that comes through me then there's no reason why a blue belt can't teach even if the blue belt was even deciding what to teach um to white belts they still have something of value because they're the expert in that moment they're the one that has the most knowledge in the room and a lot of times that comes from because a lot of times people will say, well, what you're showing a blue belt or what you're showing these white belts, you know, what a blue belt might show and what a black belt might show may not be the same thing. Yeah, you're right, because they're two different belts. But also, sometimes with black belts, they get into what's called the curse of the expert, where they can't dumb it down enough or make it simple enough for a new person to understand. So let me give you an example of what I mean by that. 
So we have a curriculum at my school that's 26 classes. There are moves in there like elbow escapes, trap and rolls, arm locks from the guard, Kimura, taking the back, yada, 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 all of those things, right? The thing is, is that the moves that are taught in that class are not the best moves. Let me repeat that again. The moves that are taught in the basics class aren't the best moves. Now, what I mean by that, by best, is what I mean by that is best is in the sense of if I was to try that technique on a black belt, let's say who is another great black belt, is it the best variation or the more advanced variation? Absolutely not. It is the basic variation. Now, some people like Hodger Gracie or Henry Aikens would say that basics are just fine. That's a whole separate conversation. But back to my point, that the techniques that are shown in a basics class should be simple enough and basic enough for a new student to understand. So if, if you have some cool way that you do this elbow escape, like if you show this elbow escape a specific way and you're like, man, that elbow escape is terrible. That would never work against a brown belt at this level of competition. Yeah, you're, you're probably right. But if I'm a brown belt competing against that brown belt, I'm not going to use that elbow escape. I'm going to use a different one. But if I'm a brand new white belt who's just trying to keep my head above water while sparring and have something to try, I don't want them to be trying the most advanced elbow escape there is out there. That is absolutely a terrible way to retain knowledge and information. That'd be like skipping learning how to add and subtract and going straight to calculus. I'm not saying it's impossible. I don't know much about math. I don't, I don't even know if that is possible. I'm not saying it isn't impossible, but I'm saying it's very challenging. So it's the same thing when you're talking about planning curriculum or teaching, especially to the newest student, right? To the lowest common denominator is what we call it. Basically the person that knows the least amount in the room. So in the program that we teach or in our curriculum that we teach for new students, it's not about teaching them the best moves to go compete at black belt or really to even go compete against, you know, high level white belts, whatever that means. It's to get them to doing jujitsu movements faster and to get them to remembering techniques and giving them a useful idea about how this technique works. So if they had to get into a real life altercation tomorrow or the next day, they would at least have something to try. But if I showed them this advanced, you know, 90 step move and, you know, it only works for this body style and yada, 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 that's doing them a disservice and not an honorable um, class in my per se. So whenever I give somebody the basics curriculum and I let a blue belt teach it, it's from that perspective. It's not from a black belt's perspective. Now, if you come and do a private lesson with me and then you're telling me problems and, and I can diagnose that and I can show you a different elbow escape or whatever, then yeah, I'm, I'm going to show you that. But when you're teaching to a group of individuals that don't know much about anything, you can't teach to the most um, advanced idea. You have to break it down to the smallest form possible and be able to teach somebody so they can get some kind of value out of it. And this goes back to the original part of being an instructor that a lot of times it's a sink or swim mentality. So it's either you're sinking or you're swimming. And that idea about l less technique, not paying much of detail, being able just to go to sparring right away, and then also teaching moves 
that are really advanced for brand new people is always that it's a it's a filter it's cutting people out it's it's getting people out of the gym so that's why there's only at a lot of gyms there's a certain kind of people that are black belts or certain kind of people that are brown belts or certain kind of people that have made it and so then when they go to teach it passes it down and i absolutely hate that mindset I hate that mindset because what that's doing is if you really think that jujitsu is good for everybody, right? I'm going to challenge you guys right now. If you're this guy that trains jujitsu, that's like the alpha and is like, man, if guys can't train jujitsu and they're not tough enough and just, you know, then they can't be here. They can't cut it. They shouldn't be in the gym. If you're this kind of a person about to just destroy your life right now in argument. So the way that this is false is because you clearly have a passion for jiu-jitsu. If you're speaking that way, you clearly have a passion and you clearly care about it. Then you would want the art to grow and you probably think more people should be training it. And so you have a decision to make, okay? You really do. If no one wants to train it the way you train it and it continues to be trained like that, then people will exit the art and the art will die. No one wants that, right? I can pretty much say that no one wants that. So the only other option you have is then to make a compromise and try to find ways that keep people training longer and that keep people on the mat and that help people. So if your way clearly causes people to quit, then why would you continue to do it? It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. This is exactly what happened to traditional arts a lot. And traditional arts, a lot of that died because they weren't willing to make some kind of conceitus on certain things. Now, we could talk about other ideas about that because, you know, America got involved in capitalism and all that stuff in, in the martial arts. That's a whole different conversation. But a lot of traditional arts, because of the way that it was taught from such old school ideas that they didn't grow and they didn't evolve with the times of people. They just said, oh, well, if you couldn't do that, then then too bad. So, you know, and then people, and so if you think that's going to water down the art so much, then the art's eventually going to evaporate. We've seen that happen in the past. So you either have a choice to make it better for the people who, you know, are coming up underneath of you than what you had to, or continue to struggle that way. And I really think where the debate is on this is that people sometimes enjoy that other people can't do what they do. I think they find that prideful. You know, we all have a little ego in our brain. We all have a little bit of sense of self-worth and pride, and that's a form of self-worth. If you're a purple belt that's trained at a really tough school and you've seen a lot of people quit and you're one of the main purple belts and you've been able to stick it through, that's something you should be proud of. But then what happens is that you don't want anyone else to make the accomplishments you have. Right. Because then it makes your accomplishment look not as good. Right. This is all basic psychology. This is all basic things that have been going on since you were a kid and a child and how everything was worked. So I just don't understand jujitsu instructors that take that approach that the idea of, well, you know, I had to learn that way. So everyone has to, too. And if you're not tough enough, then get off the mat. Right. Now, obviously, you can only concede so much. I can only make a compromise so much. I can't compromise, you know, everything about it, but you know what I can do? I can learn how to teach better. I can be more open to students. I can have a better academy environment. I can actually plan ahead for my students and maybe create some kind of curriculum to help them learn better, to help them stay on the mat. I can put them in places of power and leadership and get them teaching the art. Because I think if you guys can do that, 
um, one of the secrets I think to actually staying on the mat long term is to become an instructor. And I don't mean by just um, owning a school. That's not what I mean. I mean by like teaching kids classes, being an assistant, offering to teach basics or some kind of a class like that or leading an open mat because the more that you're involved, it gives you less chance to exit the art and you're creating those um, effects to be able to be a part of it. Now, obviously you can't do this as a brand new white belt, but you can build up to it. You can start asking those questions now about what it takes and starting to figure that out. So these are all just interesting ideas that have popped into my head for the last day or so, um, training with jujitsu and instructors. So I know that was a little bit of a rant in a bunch of different ways. If you guys like this kind of stuff, you know, please let me know. Let me know if you have any questions, if you want inform- more information about being an instructor. I think I did a previous episode on what I think makes a good instructor. If I didn't, I'll go back and look after I record this. And uh, yeah, maybe I'll do that as a future podcast. So in anyways, take it easy, guys. If you're a struggling jujitsu student that is really looking for some more help and guidance and trying to figure out what you should be training and the next steps in your jujitsu journey, I have an online program called the Jujitsu Blueprint for Lifelong Development. You have interest in or want more information on, make sure you hit me up at jasonhill.com. And I do an interview to make sure that you're a good fit, make sure the program would actually benefit you so that way your time's not wasted and neither is mine.